Greetings, friends of the apocalypse. Welcome to Podcast at Ground Zero, your home of the apocalypse for episode 43, Language After the Apocalypse. Tonight is uh, going to be about language. Uh, <laughs> I am your host as well we, as... We speak, we speak good. Yeah, apparently, apparently it's, it's the apocalypse here. So We'll be smart. We'll make the show go. We, we make go. We make go. So we make go. Your uh, your host Jared the Apocalypse Nerd Wallace and Bomb Glancy and special co-host William G Thrasher this week will be joining us for a discussion of language in the apocalypse. So uh, just for the folks, we're going to talk about you know language, uh, written and verbal uh, verbal language. What you know, we're, th- we're going to theorize and speculate what's going to happen to it after it all goes to shit and the structured. Uh, you know, education system is gone to teach people how to read and write. So, but before we do that, we'll do our normal uh, rounds of uh, in the news. And um, uh, I don't have a whole lot uh, this week. I haven't really, you know, been digging too much for it. Um, I did see, you know, for, for folks who have Xbox Ones, uh, the State of Decay game, which was on the 360, is going to be coming out for Xbox One soon. So uh, you'll be able to uh, check that out. I also saw a nice extended trailer for the Mad Max video game, which is not coming out until September, so they didn't even tie it in with the freaking movie, unfortunately. But uh, the video game... Or, or maybe fortunately. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, but, the video, <laughs> but, but the video game looks pretty good to be, uh, you know, I'm like, I actually, it's like, like an open environment, uh, get to do a lot of stuff. I'm like, wow, this actually seems a little more interesting than the movie to me right now. You know, and I know that's blasphemy. I know everybody is excited for the movie, and people are taking days off, and I'm like, I'm just not there yet. We will, we will see. Question, yeah. sir. I didn't see the trailer for the Mad Max video game. It was is on it, the Xbox. It, it was on the. It was on the Xbox One. So it was. <laughs> then that's why I wouldn't with my 360. Uh, maybe I would have seen it on you know YouTube or social media. But here's a question for you. Is the game built around your car as the character that you improve and upgrade, or is Both. it about your character in the car? Both. Okay, good. Because, yeah. It talks uh, about I, it talks about building your car, improving your car, getting new equipment for it, but also building your character, getting new skills. You know how to survive there. How to you know, go to communities and how to, you know, you know, it's, it seemed, it, it seemed pretty, I mean, the games, from what I've seen, it seemed interesting, but again, I, but then again, I've bur- been burned many times before. All right, so, are you playing Max Rakotansky, or are you playing your, you know, your own creative character? Uh, as far as I know, you're playing Max. Okay, fine. That's fine. But it's the new alternate universe, you know, Mad, Mad Max, you know, the, uh, it's, it's, it's post-crisis continuity Max. Yeah. Oh, God. Well, no, it's, well, I don't know. Like I said, this movie, people are saying it's not a reboot. It's a continuation. No, it's not the fifth movie, you dumb shits. If it was the fucking fifth movie, you know, there wouldn't be, it wouldn't even have to be. It would have to be far more beyond Thunderdome than it is currently. Exactly. Way, way. What do you you mean fifth? Am I missing something? Fourth, I'm sorry. Right. One, two, if there's another movie out there, I'd like to know about it, please. Oh, you don't know about the fourth Mad Max movie that oh, was out? <laughs> my nerd The secret one that only me. cool people can see? Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> only only, only Will and myself have seen it. You have it? Hmm. Uh, clearly, I do not measure up. 
Oh my god. Ah! No, but, but no, but a lot of people are saying, you know, of course, like I said before, everybody's like, it's a re it's not a reboot. It's like it's it's really not. It's kind of one of those it is a kind of re envisioning from somewhere between I think Mad Max uh, unless I'm completely fucking wrong, but everything I've seen indicates that it's after the original, but kind of, you know, eliminates the four you know, beyond uh, you know, the Mad Max two. Yeah, Mad Max. Yeah, otherwise, where did the last of the V8 Interceptors come from? Exactly. What do you find? Another <laughs> one? It's the other. It's the last, last. The other last of the V8 Interceptors, yeah. So, yeah. so I saw So I saw that. looks, you know, like I said, it uh, looks pretty interesting. Again, you know, they've been showing better trailers for the movie, you know, like we've talked about before. So I'm like, going, ah, I, you know, I'll, I'll try to go in a little more open-minded, but... Uh, <laughs> What else are we going to do with our time? You know, go see the Star Wars movie. Go see the um, you know, the Star Wars film. Ah, no. Well, that doesn't come out till that doesn't come out till Christmas. But you know what? The last trailer they did, I'm like, well, maybe it won't be as bad as those other three movies they made because they George Lucas is not involved in it, and that can only improve it. Yeah, and of that course, only it, only improve it. Yeah, and of course, you know, of course, it's re being done by the guy who did the Star Trek reboot. So, and he did. It, and what a fine job he did on those. He did a reasonable job, so we'll see what happens. So. Now, uh, my question is: Is Wilford Brimley's character going to be showing up in the new trilogy? You may not remember, but Wilford Brimley did play a Star Wars character in the second Ewok movie. Second Ewok and yes, movie. there was a second Ewok movie. Are, is this is this like the fifth? Um, is this like the, the fifth Mad Max film you were talking about? Because no, no, there's Ewoks Caravan of Courage. It's an it was a TV movie made in the height of I think the time that George Lucas was dating Linda Rodstad, and as Wilford if that Brimley, explains everything. Wilford <laughs> Brimley plays this grizzled old navigator whose ship is stuck on Endor. Uh, but wait, do, does he go at one point? I kill you and start shooting yeah. at Ewoks because <laughs> that would be I, okay. No, but he does talk about oatmeal <laughs> and diabetes. Does he bring up the diabetes. You Ewoks all look like you should be watching your blood sugar. Last night. Oh, I don't. I don't remember who does it. I think. I think it was in the crypt. They make fun of Wilford Brimley. Like they make fun of the diabetes commercials or something. He's like, it's like last last night I beat up my wife. My wife's been dead for ten years. Who did I hit? You know, it was like something. Like oh my god. It was something like, oh my god. I'll have to, I'm gonna have to dig that one up. I'll post that one. It's just, just like it's hilarious. So anyway, uh, let's, let's let's hope that Wilford Brimley does not return. Much in the same way, I hope that Art Carney and B. Arthur do not return. Well, you never know. He could have an awesome action sequence like Yoda, a CGI Wilford Brimley doing backflips and catching lightning bolts and throwing them Because that made it so much better! I, 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 I would pay to see a CGI Wilford Brimley do that. <laughs> yeah, but, but, now, but because of that, now when people ask us who's the man, we can tell them, Yoda man. All right. Well, I'm disconnecting you from the call. <laughs> it was great while it lasted. If I may quote Harrison Ford, get the fuck out of my house, okay? <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, Have you seen that where they, they do the David Blaine thing where David Blaine does a, a, a trick in front of Harrison Ford and Harrison Ford's response is, get the fuck out of my house? Yes, I have seen you should, that. You shouldn't do that to a guy who's that high. You know, you really shouldn't do, you know, card tricks that are cards are found inside pieces of uncut fruit on Harrison Ford's dinner table. Yeah, shouldn't do that to a guy who's that stoned. Not fair. Uh, so anyway, so that's um, like I said. I didn't really have a whole lot of posts. There's, just, there's been a lot of stuff, you know, just floating around. Like, you know, like I said, a, a good a good source of stuff that I find is on um, a Quiet Earth. I don't know if anybody, if you guys are familiar with that website, uh, Quiet Earth. They start off with mainly post-apocalyptic media movies, but they, you know, they do some other other stuff too. But a lot of post-apocalyptic stuff. And there's always they're always posting a lot of good stuff for like shorts and movies and things uh, coming out. So that's always a that's always a good source, folks, for for that. You know? and uh, oh, also, I <coughs> am caught up. With the exception of the show being recorded right now, all the shows the audio is posted on the blog. The all the audio is up now. So if you want to listen to the audio, any of the episodes, just go to. The blog, go to the post uh, tab, and they're all listed there. And as well as if you are an iTunes, uh, you know, subscriber, you, you can find Podcast Background Zero on iTunes, and you get to find them all there as well. So we are current with all the episodes. It took a little while, but it's all there. So all our friends of the apocalypse on the go can just download them and listen to them uh, on their favorite media device. Most excellent. And uh, that's it there. Well, uh, if Scott, uh, you know, if you're, you said you had a couple of things to share as well, if uh, you are ready for that, sir. This one. Um, okay. First is I finally got around to cracking open Black Moon. Oh, yes, I remember. Which you. is the, the insomnia apocalypse where civilization has got, I don't know, 100 hours maybe of not sleeping before everyone's bug shit crazy and dead. And um, it's uh, I, I've read the first chapter. It feel the first chapter feels like it was a novella or a short story that somebody wrote, you know, that has then been expanded. And you know what I mean? It feels very self-contained. That opening chapter is a great introduction into this world that is falling apart. Um, and one of the uh, sort of uh, creepiest things is uh, the collapse of, and it's related to our story. Uh, it's the collapse of language. Hmm. As people become more and more sleep-deprived, uh, their ability to communicate in anything that sounds uh, other than word salad just gets worse and worse and worse. And the main character, the first character introduced to is a guy who's desperately trying to not be spotted as a sleeper. Because hmm. it has turned out that the people who can't sleep uh, apparently resent in their deranged madness, those who can, and oh, they wow. will murder you, uh, <clears throat> including, you know, his wife. And um, so he's learned to speak the gibberish so he can move amongst it. It's like them covering themselves with guts to move amongst the zombies because at this point in the story, not every, you know, there's not enough death yet, right? The cities are not cleared out. It's not, a, you know, however many hours in. Um, people are still being mad and crazy, and there's actually one point where there's a disturbance, and uh, the police arrive to stop it, 
and uh, the cops are all just wearing mismatched uniforms, and one of them's naked and shooting a machine gun into the crowd. And it's like, oh, good. <laughs> the authorities are here to bring the situation back into control. Naked guy wearing a hat, wearing a police hat, firing a machine gun into the crowd. It's just, just him, his ass, and his boots. It's like, oh, yeah. Things are going to be fine. <laughs> I'm sure uh, it, it's, it's CDC in Atlanta. They're right on top of this. Wow. So, uh... it's, that's the kind of... It's, it, Jared, it's got that, that going down the shitter thing that you like. Black, Black Moon. Yeah, Black Moon uh, by a guy named Kenneth Calhoun. And mm -hmm. um, so far I'm enjoying it. Um, uh, I have not finished it. More reports later. Uh, in the self-aggrandizement department, uh, I would like to point out that I just got back from the CthulhuCon PDX uh, in Portland, which was a Cthulhu convention run by the guys who uh, do the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival in Portland, Oregon. Um, they have uh, they put on a great show. Um, it was an enormous amount of fun. I got to run some games. I got to be on some panels. Um, <clears throat> uh, uh, Heather Hudson won the uh, Pickman's uh, apprentice uh, challenge where these artists come in and have to do timed art challenges. So Heather Hudson who's a longtime paganista got to take home a lovely Cthulhu trophy from the event. And yes, yes, yes I, I saw that which is good because I know she, when she was going into it she was like well I'll take up some of my Cthulhu stuff and it's like she just yeah. she, she's just so good and done so much stuff she really needs to know that Heather you're good you did all this stuff you know. Yeah. So getting her getting the trophy was, was, was enormous to me because uh, you know she blew everyone else out of the water. She really did. Oh yeah. Uh, she, she, well, I use her all the time. You know how good she is. I know she was. She asked me to show some of her some of the recent work that she's done for me to have to show. I believe. So yeah. Now, unfortunately, speaking of blown out of the water, and of course everyone knows Django. Uh, yeah. Speaking of blown out of the water. Um, Brian Callahan, the guy who runs the festival, got some sort of uh, uh, intestinal issue, um, like life-threatening, perforated intestine problem, and he's out for the count. So I've been drafted at the last possible second to be the replacement Brian for going down to the San Pedro H.P. Uh, Lovecraft Film Festival, which I've never been to, but now because Brian's out of the running, um, I get to be the substitute Brian and get my bills paid for and get to go down for free. And uh, so I will be seeing people. If, if you're in going to the San Pedro H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, I will see you there. I'm in touch with Aaron Vanek. He didn't know I was going to be there, but maybe we can set up a game for you know uh, some of the people down there and, and run some Call of Cthulhu. I don't know. We'll is see. That, is that this this coming weekend, Scott? It's this coming weekend. It's uh, what uh, uh, May third? Uh, is it second and third? Uh, it's it, it's this Friday. coming. Uh, Friday and Saturday? Yeah, this this Friday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. First, second, third. Saturday. Yeah. It's first, second, and third. Friday, Saturday, Sunday in San Pedro, California. Um, we'll post a link in the show notes. I realize it's short notice, but, you know, if anyone was already going to be there, you get bonus glancy, whatever, you know, that means. Well, well we can never get enough glancy, except for now. Wow. So you, you get more than just a glance of glancy. You get a good and, hard stare. And I want to point out that one of the events that they had at the festival was an event called Scotch with Scott, where they essentially just gave me a bottle of Lagavulin scotch and had me drink it and tell increasingly off-color and off-putting stories. 
uh, to a, a crowd of people. And somebody whose name escapes me brought this amazing bottle of American straight whiskey. Really, it's a rye whiskey. It's a rye whiskey called Ransom. And it's made up in uh, Sheridan, Oregon, in what is their wine country. And I've had Northwest distilled spirits before and not been impressed at all. But this is actually a good, solid rye whiskey. And so wherever you are, send me a message and say, I'm the guy who sent it. And I'll send a picture because then we'll know who you are because he was wow. distinctive. So, so, so now it's an event now. I, 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 I've, been, I've, been getting, uh, I've been getting that event for, for nothing for years. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Now people have to pay for it. Now that, it's a, now that it's a big deal, people have to pay to get in. Uh, so anyways, excellent time was had by all. Uh, not a lot of apocalypse. Uh, and I got to tell you that maybe that is the that is the next panel we should push for is Cthulhu as apocalypse. That is the post-apocalyptic Cthulhu. What in Lovecraft generally presents an apocalyptic or a post-apocalyptic vision of the future? Because there's little tiny hints throughout his stories uh, that suggest a post-apocalyptic, not merely dystopic, but a post-apocalyptic future. Oh yeah, well, that people, people, like, well, people have definitely written stuff post-apocalyptic uh, Cthulhu stuff, you know. Yeah, I, I have not got the collection Reign of Cthulhu, but Reign of Cthulhu is all stories set after we've been praying, after they've come back, after the stars are right, and uh, you know we're a couple of steps down the food chain. Okay, cool, cool, very good. It makes me think I've got to reread uh, Shadow Out of Time now for the for the fourth time. <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> Multiple apocalypses are hinted at in that book. Oh yes, yes they are. All right, so let's talk. Let's talk about the apocalypse. Let's talk about uh, how we speak after the apocalypse. Let's talk about language in the apocalypse. Because we we had kind of hint, talked about it a little bit uh, on our previous show for a communications breakdown. Because uh, you know we talked about conveyances, and that led us to like, hey, let's talk more about language. So I know Will brought some stuff up. We're like, Will, let's save that for language. You know, the language show. So, all right. Where do you want to kick off? That's a good question. Will, would you like to start us off uh, talking about language in the apocalypse? You got some thoughts, feelings, uh, things yeah, you, you bring up? As the guy who broached it last time, you get the lead. Well, I'll say, like, right off the bat, I mean, there, there are lots of angles we're going to have to hit on this, but one thing I really wanted to start out with, uh, uh, just because it's, it's, it's one of my favorite things uh, in, in any fictional setting, but slang. What is our, you know, assuming English survives, what is our slang going to sound like, and, and what words are going to take on new meanings because because th because things have changed? Um, just like right off the bat, thinking of, of uh, some of the post-apocalyptic RPGs and LARPs we've done, uh, I uh, did a post-apocalyptic LARP uh, a few years ago where very quickly uh, this new slang developed, where like saying something glows was was a very harsh criticism of something because what glows radioactive objects and areas are going that are going to kill you so if you know if somebody says oh i've got a great idea and someone says that idea glows well then you know it's a bad idea because it's going to get people slowly killed i like that it's, i like that it's close to blows yeah exactly yeah, it's kind of like blows. that that glows you know? <laughs> so oh absolutely because well the, the biggest thing like when I think about how language is going to develop, because we've got slang, there's slang is perfect, you know, uh, peppered all through just stories that are not post-apocalyptic, because you have things like uh, A Clockwork Orange, 
where they have that language, that slang, the different words. It already exists, you know, you know, the sub-language everywhere in a language where we have, you know, people... All cultures. All cultures have a sub-language. Hell, just simple stuff like urban uh, slang, shorty, you know, uh, little simple things like that uh, are, in fact, um, you know, they're sub-language. They're, they're, um, you're absolutely right. Dialects. Dialects. Dialects, thank you. Sub-language. I don't want to call it sub-language instead of the proper term, dialect. Well, that, sub-language is the ones they speak in the subway. The, the mutants that ah. live in the subway speak sub-language. So that's the, the that's the chud language is what you're trying to say? Oh, I'm sorry. That, you're right. That would be the chud language. That would be a chud language. So, so we have different, because we already have dialects already, you know, southern dialect. It's already like, say, say somebody who grew up in, say somebody lives in New York, and they go to, the, and they go to the deep south. They're got trouble understanding them in certain areas. You know, the However, I would south. I would point out that that even the dialects we have today, and I immediately think of, you know, sort of that urban hip hop dialect that you get. That's that that follows a media outlet. That follows music, right? That that dialect was spread uh, through mass media through through. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's perpetuated by it. Yeah, and it's and it's in different urban areas. Uh, because it hasn't, it's not growing up in isolation. It's kind of this top-down dialect that's been created. Um, simultaneously, our modern media has been killing dialects. Americans, our accents really are going away because everyone's speaking that sort of Midwest. That, that, yeah, that neutral Midwest. Yeah, accentless America. It is, if you watch stuff from like uh, talkies, or talkies, I'm so old. You watch uh, films with uh, sound from the or newsreels from the 30s and the 40s. Um, you'll hear much stronger regional accents um, uh, from from people, um, much 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 stronger regional accents, I think, uh, than we do today, um, uh, particularly from urban areas because they're the ones most saturated. When that shit ends, it's when we have back. our technological crack. Yeah, yeah. Uh, these accents, these dialects, will not be created by a top-down, you know, media. It'll be, it'll develop incredibly isolated, you know, in pockets. Oh uh, yeah. One one slang term might mean the exact opposite in a different area. So well, saying that that glows uh, might be misinterpreted depending on what part of the world you're in. Well, that's true. I mean, if, if you're in a place that's managed to keep a certain level of technology going, it glows might be something good because that means there's power in the system if the lights are coming on. Yeah, yeah, that, that's yes, true. Exactly. It's. I think it's definitely gonna go back to more regional, more pockets, like you said. But then also because also the breakdown of of the formal educational system, where everybody's kind of universally be like in where it's America or France or you know Germany, where you're taught the language. You're, okay, this is how you spell things. This is how you say things. This is what things are. You know, like soda can, headphones. You know, that's you're taught what specific things are. But when that goes away, and it's just left to you know the elders teaching the people, they're not going to be worrying about necessarily every little nuance. Maybe major things. So some words might go away. Some things might be called different things altogether <clears throat> in within a very very short period of time. You know, I, I'm hoping the I'm hoping the first casualty is I before E except after C because 
Uh, as I understand it, that actual grammatical rule is is one of the worst available because there are more exceptions to that than there are things that conform to that. Let's just start with the word science. Yeah. The word science, right which I write a lot because I like to write the word science fiction. It's right there. Yeah. Uh, and so that, hopefully that will be the first casualty of the uh, of the uh, grammar apocalypse will be I before E. Exactly. Wait, Something that speaks to that, though, uh, and, and you'll see this uh, uh, in a lot of comic books, but in some movies and some TV shows, that uh, whenever it's like a post a post apocalyptic scenario and there's like new fresh graffiti, uh, it's always spelled very phonetically. Yeah, yeah. At least in fiction, that's the first thing. That's the, it's like how do you know you're in an alternate timeline if there's zeppelins? That's your first clue that you're in an alternate timeline. Uh, your first clue there's been an apocalypse is, or that there's been a collapse of civilization is all the graffiti is now phonetic on the walls. And, well, uh, and lots of Z's. Anything yes. that's plural. <laughs> all plurals are now represented by Z's. Well, yeah. well because, and you're right, because it, you know, if you're not being taught grammar... You're gonna spell. I, I would think you would by default with spell thing for what little you know of spelling, you know, would be as you're learning it from people who may not be the best teachers of language are gonna spell things phonetically. Because I'm a like I said before, I'm a terrible speller. I'm bad with names. I would be dead in the water if I didn't have freaking spell check. You know, I get pretty close. I get pretty close most of the time because I've actually gotten better over the years. But if you would have gotten me back when I was in high school, forget about it. I can't <coughs> spell for shit, dude. You know? Well, it would it would be a lot like the the, the Middle Ages where there is no formalized spelling. If you look at uh, if you look at manuscripts from from the Middle Ages, the same words will be spelled different ways based on where the person was educated and where they were living at the time, and also what letters are available. Because remember, we used to use F instead of S because we didn't quite have S uh, in English yet. Um, but taking that even further, let's let's assume I'm in a post-apocalyptic scenario. I would actually enjoy a more phonetic language. If I was in a position to be passing down the English language to the next generation, I would pass it down phonetically. I would I would simplify the spellings of things and, and just, you know, get get rid of redundant letters and just make everything as phonetic as possible, which I I feel would would serve the purpose of making the language simpler and easier to teach, uh, but also just, you know, e easier to read. So even somebody who was taught, you know, classic English as it's taught now could still read it perfectly because it's spelled phonetically. Yeah, Regardless so of what they might think of us because we spelled things that way. So when the astronauts come back and are, you know, released from suspended animation, they'll at least be able to read the the new lawgiver laws that are hanging up in the, you know, in the, right. in the, in the temple of the bomb. You know, so oh, that would be handy. So, so we, so, so they probably should have done that when. Uh, are you guys familiar with the Georgia Guidestones? Yes. Oh yeah. Okay. You know, which has you know written in multiple languages the rules of rebuilding uh, civilization afterwards. You know, I was like maybe they, they probably should have done. They probably should have broken it down and done it in phonetic English because that would have been definitely been more post-apocalyptic. Phonetic English, and then also maybe like the in International Phonetic Alphabet, which has a rendering for every sound a human being can make with its mouth. It's really fascinating. Mm. Wow. Like there actually is a way to spell and 
the way like it dispel it's a K with a dot on top and dispel or it's like a K with a dot on the bottom. I had a, a professor of uh, anthropology, uh, Professor Unges, uh, back when I was in college, who who did a real quick crash course in the International Phonetic Alphabet. It was fascinating. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, now, uh, this phonetic alphabet, though, is mostly Latin characters? Uh, yeah, pretty much Latin characters with certain <clears throat> sort of accents uh, above okay. and below them. Okay. Interesting. Wow, well, Will's educated. Well, thank you. Um, a broad, broad base of knowledge, but uh, easily, easily applicable to many trades that produce copious amounts of money. <laughs> like, like all of us. Like all of us. Right. Um, but, but the Georgia guys was actually. Uh, we're doing a road trip uh, for a vacation this summer, and. Part of my plan is to, on our way home, to try to swing by to see the Georgia Guidestones. That's, you know, nice. as part so of the plan. We, we want footage. Yeah. Video. It's, part, it's, it's part of the plan. We'll, we'll see if we can pull it off because it's really kind of like out of the way. You know, from 95, it's like four hours out. So we're going to see what we can do to try to make that happen. Yes, I'll definitely get uh, pictures of that. But, um, Good. But also with language, what makes me think, especially with dialects and accents, like you said, you know, it's because, like you said, Scott, it's becoming a little more neutral now. Because, like I said, I'm originally from New York. We moved down when I was 11. Uh, there's occasionally words here and there that poke through that says, "Oh, New York." But generally, I, you know, I've been down here for 35 years. Okay, and a lot of people are like, "Well, where are you from?" You know, like, "Oh, I would have thought you're from the Midwest," because my, because you know, I. Develop more, you know, rest of my years down here. My, you know, my language, my 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 accent's a little more neutral. Like I said, that kind of Midwestern people always pick me for Midwestern, you know, just because you know I moved and I lived in different areas. But, and all, all you've done is listen to TV, movies, radio. Yeah. I mean, that's where your accent came from. Yeah. Um, that's why uh, the Southern accent exists, is because, uh, the, the well, one of the theories is that it developed from, uh, nannies. That the people who were taking care of the kids were uh, African slaves, and uh, their English was not the best. But it was a combination of the South's desire to have a landed gentry-style lifestyle, like the British, combined. So there were some attempts to wow, I'm eclipsed. There's some attempts to have kind of a British accent instilled by their um, uh, by their tutors and their private teachers. But then the uh, people who were taking care of the kids, the sort of the, the, the nannies and the servants, had a different accent. The combination has helped produce the southern accent that we all know so well. Um, and you know, clearly that was not the plan, but that was the result. And now my headphones have been pulled out by the cat, so I'm, I'm off. Well, you know, you you talk about uh, about accents and. As long as we're we're going off in this area, uh, mutant accents. You might have populations uh, where just because of the way the mutations worked out, uh, have you know different types of vocal cords, different shaped throats, different like muscle arrangements in the face. Actually, I did that in a Gamma World game ages ago. Um, uh, the uh, any mutant that had like growths on their face, they would sort of talk like this because the growths would kind of get in the way of the way their jaws moved. And and that just became that became a thing. You could immediately tell that you were talking to a particular kind of mutant because they would just sort of talk like this. How are you guys doing? 
I'm, I'm immediately reminded of these second and third generation uh, survivors in um, uh, <clears throat> Threads. You know? Oh, yeah, well... The combination of being developmentally disabled from the radiation uh, in womb plus bad nutrition plus no education produces this, uh, you know, starts to produce this, I don't know, well, let me, this, pigeon, this pigeon. Well, let me, let me talk about that. We talked about that when we did the Threads episode. We talked about Threads. Now, one of our listeners who is from was from that area said that, you know what, they kind of talk like that now. <clears throat> so, like the kids, like the way they talked, the, give some, just that real, this guttural, that urban language, way, way they talked, they said, they're like, they really, it really didn't degrade as much as you think, because again, we're not from that area, we don't know how people really talk to, he goes, they kind of talk like that now already, so it didn't really, it didn't really go that far down the spiral, believe it or not, I was like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. And that brings up the topic of, of not just linguistic drift, but outright linguistic decay, depending on what survival pressures uh, different pockets of civilization are under. That the, the, the language might get shrunken down real quick. You know, we were joking about that, you know, before of just saying, oh, we will be smart. We will make machine go. That might actually happen. Yeah, well, again, depending on how many people you're building back from. Um, especially, and then throw two, three generations on the problem. Um, far too often, my visions of the apocalypse are not uh, are are closer to Bryn's postman than they are to um, uh, what was the what was the road builders one? Eternity uh, Road. Eternity Road. Where, if I remember correctly, in Eternity Road, when they got up to the Great Lakes, they encountered. Uh, pirates, uh, sort of these 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 pirates on the great these the, the, on the Great Lakes, and having come from what was I guess Arkansas, um, they did not recognize anything. They came from the Mississippi Valley. They did not recognize that language at all. But that was a thousand what a thousand years yeah in the future. Yeah. Um, it's a very long maybe time. it was maybe the implication was that it was French Canadian. You know, you know, at, you know if it's, especially if it was around the Great Lakes, that's a very distinct possibility that that, that could have been. But but, but also uh, look at this. Something else I, I, it made me think about. Again, I said dialects, the way people talk, and the shortening of language. Like Will said, it's like, well, let's get rid of all these unnecessary words and just say what we mean and just keep it, you know, keep it short. But also, are you guys ever seen on uh, Discovery? There was there's a show. They had like two, a couple of like one season of it. It was like the, uh, it was about this family in Alaska. Uh, I forget what it, I forget what it's called now. It was like um, it wasn't Sarah Palin's America, was it? No, no, no. It was about this. It's about this this family that lives in Alaska. Speaking speaking of illiterates who can barely yeah. speak. Well, that's a whole another topic. But uh, um, no, it's this family um, Alaskan. I can't remember. Somebody's gonna post and say what it is, but it's it was a show like Alaska Frontier or something. It was just about this family. Man is woman. They were from Texas. They picked up many, many, many years ago, 30, 40 years ago, moved to Alaska. They live out on their own. They live in the wild. They, you know, get some land. They build their own stuff. They hunt. And they have, like, seven kids, eight kids, you know, all growing up, living in boats, living in cars, living in cabins, whatever they could get and have. And in one of these episodes, they talk about, people say, 
Yeah, people say we talk with an accent that we have a funny accent. And they do. They have an unusual, a very unusual accent. And they're like, we don't hear any accent. And it's funny how, because these kids grew up not in schools, not in houses, not in urban America, not, you know, not urban, not city. They grew up in the woods. They grew up moving around. And, and where they heard their language from was you know, people they encountered and their parents. And all the kids have this particular uh, accent that's very kind of unusual, almost kind of lispy accent just from this is just one you know one you know one basically one generation because the kids range anywhere from like you know like 14 to 30 so it's not you know a huge huge gap uh, are you guys also, familiar are you guys familiar with the, there's a, a a story I keep hearing about Castilian Spanish that Spanish uh, from from Spain um, uh, lisps a number of so a number of pronunciations uh, Cerveza with a hard C, like in Mexico, you say cerveza. It's cerveza uh, in Castilian Spanish, and the often repeated story, which I have no idea whether it's true or not, is that at some point um, one of our long reigning monarchs had a speech impediment, like a cleft palate or something, or a, a lisp, and everybody at court started adopting the lisp. So they wouldn't annoy him by speaking better than the king. And this accent descended, this speech impediment descended into became an accent. I have, uh, I have no I've idea heard, if that story is true. But I've heard the same story. The, the version that I heard was that the king was popular enough among his courtiers that it became fashionable to speak that way. And, yes. And, yes. and within a few years, speaking with a lisp became like a sign of sophistication, so everybody wanted to do it. But imagine that in post-apocalyptic terms. Imagine that this family isolated is speaking like the dad. And you said there's a bit of a lisp. Well, dad has one. No, he actually, learning... he doesn't. He doesn't. Ah. He doesn't. It's just, they all, it's not like a, it's not a major, but it's, only, it's, it's not like lisp, but it, that's the only term I could equate to it right now with the top of my head, but it, um, it's like... A little more syllabic. They, they stress yeah. their S's a little much? Yeah. yeah, but it definitely, it's definitely different from the way he talks, and just from they grew up in isolation. So my point was, you take that to, again, these pockets of, you know, this bunker, you know, where people are surviving and growing up in generations, or, you know, isolated cabins, and eventually people come together, you know, just, you know, they're definitely, you know, there's going to be different accents, the way people talk, in terms, it's, language is going to really diversify and break up, that's for sure, you know. Well, that's one of the standard, uh, I think one of the standard things uh, in apocalyptic thinking is that, you know, the convenient society that we have where we can get our grapes from, uh, you know, California and our, uh, you know, uh, beef from Texas and whatever, uh, that, you know, once the ease of transporting goods disappears, we're going to have this sudden, everything's going to have to be very rural, or everything's going to be very regional. And the same thing's true for language. Language, you know. Um, but the idea of that, you know, if you've got some patriarch running his, his community, um, language could be very, uh, very dictated by the peculiarities of his accent to start with, or his speech impediment or whatever. You know what I mean? It, it, that could be... The, and, and then it becomes a badge of office. You know? Well, the last king uh, uh, spoke with a... You know, like he had a cleft palate. Everyone else... You know, if you have the king job or warlord or, you know, 
uh, overseer or you know whatever whatever job you know is there new job systems manager you know all <laughs> hail the systems manager you know then suddenly they're the, they're going to adopt that as part of the persona of leader and it'll it'll be something that people want to aspire to well if the leader talks like that I have a better chance of being the leader if I take on his characteristics so the I mean I mean that sounds a little bit like the strong man theory of or the great man theory of, of history but in an isolated smaller community it might have more of an impact you know uh, than you know than a, a Genghis Khan or a, 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 or a, a Louis the Sun King you know sort of uh, filtering down to the, the rest of society. Um, can we? Uh, do we have any specific examples from fiction we want to throw out for people where where we thought that they did an interesting job uh, developing language uh, in a way to show that time has passed, that history has moved on, and that things have changed? Well, you have a good example in that movie. <laughs> that is not what I would describe as a good example um, at all. Yeah, that would yeah. be. That was sarcasm, by the way. Uh, yes, yes, I, I strongly suspected. Um, there, yes, there's a film called America 3000. Uh, I ran across it on uh, a YouTube channel where a guy does uh, tributes to cheesy movies. And if you go to Brandon T. Hold's uh, channel, and you, we'll link to the episode he does, uh, America 3000. His 20-minute review of the film with clips from the movie pretty much tells you everything you need to know about America 3000. But it is it is stuffed to the gills with that sort of um, uh, that other language that dialect that you you got from um, things like wow I'm eclipsed again um, <laughs> things like uh, Clockwork Orange you know um, and uh, except that you know Clockwork Orange did this thing where you know you just hung on for the ride and eventually the words made sense because you stayed with the character long enough until you realized what his language was. Um, uh, America 3000 not only has new words for everything, like men and women, and uh, no one ever gets killed, they get nuked. Nuked is now the word for death in this new, in this post-apocalyptic society. Um, but, you know, not only is there all that, but they then have a narrator go to the trouble of explaining what everything means. Which defeats the purpose of it. Uh, utterly. Utterly. What was the word that they said? In old speak, that's what the, that's what people in, in old speak, when they meant crazy, they'd say kuglots or whatever it was. I can't remember what the well, term if, if, was. If, 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 this, if this narrator is a character in the movie and knows the old speak, if you know the old speak, why does the fuck aren't they using the old speak? Yeah, why aren't you speaking the old speak? You have to tell me what it all means in old speak, God damn it. Uh, it's it's kind of horrifying uh, on every way it can be horrifying, well, and it's got some Playboy bunnies in it at some point I think. Um, uh, I, it, it's it's pretty awful. It's clearly you know it's the equivalent of the it's it's, it's the equivalent of the of the sci-fi film shot in the gravel quarry. It's uh, well, it's uh, no good. Well, let's, let, let, here's a, another good example is uh, we we mentioned the film before. Uh, this show, uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. What about all the kids? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah they had the, a, a really kind of developed, like, internal, like, pigeon language. Yes, they did. Yeah, because the, right. the plane crashed when they were very young. Like, the oldest ones were very, were very young when that happened. So 
you know, it's not just, you know, they're British, you know, British Australian accents, but they definitely, you know, had different terms for, you know, doing different different things, and they even had a little bit, like Will said, a little bit of shortening of things uh, to an extent. You know, no real written language you could see. It was all mainly just pectogril, you know, you know, hieroglyphs, basically drawings of the different things they told what it was, you know, because that's one thing, you know, the spoken language won't disappear. People are still going to talk. People are still going to learn how to talk. I, I agree. Extent. I think we all agree that the film Thunderdome takes a uh, takes a dive after Max is outside of Thunderdome, um, or maybe it really takes a dive when he goes back. Um, but but uh, my favorite moment of the telling the story with the pictographs, where you know you know you know uh, where they would hold oh, up the TV screen in front of what they wanted people to look at. I yes, love that. Yes, the TV screen on the end of the pole, like that's their framing device. You know, you whatever's going on is inside the box. So it's just. That was kind of awesome. That was actually. Cool. I know, despite it, despite it not, you know, being this nonstop, this constant, you know, you know, road chasing like the like the other film. You know what they did with that? Really, you know, if you if we really step back and you know take our 1985 disdain out of it, you know, when we were seeing it, it really wasn't that. As far as I'm concerned, it really the film really started sucking when they started having a road chase in a straight line. Yeah. Trying to recreate the last part of you know you know road where they should have done something completely different, and in their attempt to pander, they failed utterly. But even so, the isolated idea of tribals, you know, yeah. which is uh, and oh my god, freaking uh, freaking Fallout um, actually made some real interesting successes in the DLC um, Honest Hearts content where. Uh, and even earlier stuff uh, in Fallout 2, you ran into travels for the first time, and they they have a a, a degenerated English language. Um, but the tribals in uh, Honest Hearts, there's a section of them who are clearly made out of the descendants of like German tourists who are camping in Zion Canyon after the bomb because they use German. Their their language is you know uh, uh, they're like you know. Uh, Someone who's not in the tribe is an Ausman, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, you keep using the word gut, G-U-T for good. And there's all this weird German mixed into their, to their American Indian style dialect because they are, they're descended from a, an isolated group of people who are after the apocalypse. That was quite a nice touch as far as I was concerned. I, I really liked the, uh, the languages of the tribals in that, in that DLC. We don't actually speaking speaking of that. I I wish I could remember what this was. I'm pretty sure this was a a, a novel that I read uh, when I was in high school. Hopefully, someone will re remind me because I would love to track this down again. But um, again, it took place around kind of like the it it took place in uh in in and around uh what's now kind of like Amish country and like adjacent counties. Uh, but because certain, because cer internally certain Amish and Rhenish settlements do speak a form of German that was left over from the Pennsylvania Dutch, uh, that w became a dominant language because these people who were already living without much technology were I in oh, far away from urban areas were ideally positioned to survive the apocalypse, and yeah. so their language spread. So that whole part of the country was speaking this kind of Pennsylvania Dutch language. That works for me. 
Um, I'm tr uh, in, in fact, um, does not ring uh, any bells to me. Uh, the the uh, short story collection that Sylvia Marina Garcia uh, sent to us um, uh, about Canadian was it Shattered? Was that it? Shattered. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. Um, there's a there is a story in there that is completely written in a devolved form of English um, from the perspective of some people who are fighting over uh, some resources in the ruins, you know, and one group's trying to push the other group out of the the area that they've claimed. And it's all written in that degenerate language, and it's effective. You know things are, are, are completely fucked when uh, all the spelling is, you know, off-center and uh, all the language, and it's a chore to read. The story can be a chore to read, but it was rewarding for me. Um, sadly, I don't have it in front of me. I feel it'd be weird to jump up in the middle of a podcast or on the other room to get it. But um, that was one of the, that was one of the better bits inside Shattered uh, that I would recommend. Um, then also uh, uh, something else that would would happen besides you know the shortening of language, and we talked we talked a little bit about this too. It's like how the names of things would change, also how the names of things will be forgotten uh, as well. Right. Because especially if you're not continuing to educate people on every little nuance, like uh, they, they they hit on that a little bit in um, uh, what's the story I read? Um, the Earth abides. Okay. It's about this, you know, it's it's a, it, well, was a, it was a, it was a plague story wiped out a lot of the population. This one character travels around the country trying to find other people, and eventually finds that the people start building small groups, communities, and building, building, building. And then, like, as the story gets towards the, you know, the, the latter two-thirds, it starts jumping ahead in years. It probably goes ahead, you know, like, you know, a couple of, like, two generations, um, I think, because, like, like, what's left is, like, he's, like, left, and, like, he's, like, this almost godlike character because he's from the before time. He's, like, really, like, he's, like, in his, like, 70s, 80s, you know, and, like, he's, like, like somebody's like uh, they got very tribal. Like one of his like great grand like great grandkids, you know, because he tried to continue to educate people, but this first generation just did, did not give a crap, you know. So like language and names of things completely disappeared like very fast in this story, which I I, I don't know how realistic it is, but again, we've never had that you know happen. But because like they were just they didn't want to get they didn't want to learn and. Because they were too, all the all the adults were too like, okay, well, we're not going to do anything. It was kind of weird. I don't think that would have happened that way. But later, later, later iterations of Gamma World used to do that on the maps. I mean, the first generation of Gamma World maps did not name cities in the ruins, locations of cities. I guess because partly it's like, well, it's all a mystery to you. You don't have a name for it. Yeah, well, you know. people are gonna have like a, a verbal name for it, but but like in the story, it's like it's like they forgot the name. Like they use uh, they use uh, change to make arrowheads for their bows and arrows. They didn't yeah. know what they, they didn't know what they were. They were just metal things, metal. You know, they just they did they didn't know what, that it was a coin. They didn't know what it was used for, and that was very much in that story. Like so much stuff was just forgotten. They didn't know what so much stuff was. There's like, oh, that's the old stuff. They know it. Didn't know what it was. Didn't know what it was used for. Didn't know what it was called. It's just conveniently smelted pieces of metal that we will now use to make arrowheads. Yeah, and it wasn't just. It was everything. They, like, most of it. They just basically became, you know, uh, tribal uh, after a couple generations and left the cities and didn't know what anything was anymore. Like that quickly because they forgot. They didn't know because nobody was 
caring continued to call certain things and certain names got changed. So again, it seems to be very much like I said, a common theme, uh, you know, a trope, if you would, of post-apocalyptic novels and uh, stories and games. And it's probably very true because again, if you're not continually to perpetuate education of speaking, knowing what things are called, writing things, how things are spelled, you know, it's gonna it's gonna happen. You know, it's it's, it's gonna degenerate like that. You know, the media, like Scott mentioned, like everybody knows, things are passed down from media down. It filters down. If all that's gone, you know, you know what's left. Well, um, then, you know, go ahead, going go further, you know, we'll, we might we might lose a name for something. There's gonna come a time where we might need a word for that thing again. So we're gonna have to make one up. Uh, you know, like you know, we we have sweet potatoes, we have yams. Uh, but who knows? Maybe these survivors live in the one place where you can't grow potatoes of any kind, uh, and it just gets forgotten. Then you know, one day, a hundred, two hundred years down the line, someone is desperate to eat, is scrabbling in the dirt, digs up the first yam anyone's seen in two hundred years. He's not going to know it's called a yam. No one is. So he's just probably going to call it sweet root. It's obviously a plant's root, but it's sweet. So congratulations, you've discovered sweet root, and that's what it's going to be called from then on out. Yeah, one presumes, though, that when it comes to things like that, a lot of that's going to come from trade. And if people have held on to a, an item and then move it around, uh, it's going to hold on to its name, except that, yes, the guys trading it might be, you know, in an early form or in a post-apocalyptic form of Madison Avenue, might change the names of things to things they think might sell better. You know, <laughs> if Yam... That doesn't tell my customer anything. It's a sweet root. They, you want them to know they can make sugar out of it or possibly distill it into alcohol or whatever. You put the function of it right in the title. So you don't have to... Revolver? What do you mean it's a revolver? You know, what, is it, what does it turn around? No, it's a shooter. Here, you shoot it's things the death with spinner. it. It's, yeah, a, you know? it's, a, it's a fire stick, you know? Yeah. Boom. I think, I think uh, Bruce Campbell established... Boomstick. But it is a boomstick. Boomstick uh, is you, pri you primitive screwheads. Um, so, yeah, you, you, you might have people who are moving and trading this stuff around, coming up with names to define items uh, that are new to a region in manners that their customers would appreciate them, and therefore it changes the story, uh, it changes the item uh, completely. And, and that's and that's actually uh, I mean that still that still happens today. Uh, there's this uh, there's this uh, fish called uh, called uh, monkfish. It's ugly as sin. It looks like a mutant fish. The only reason it's called monkfish is that they needed to find a way to sell it. Because before restaurants were calling it monkfish, it's known it goes by the name the frogfish, the sea devil, the fishing frog. Or the Lophias. None of those are appetizing names, but the moment they dubbed it the monkfish and no one had to look directly at it, it became a delicacy. Is that is that yes. the face almost looks like almost looks human? Like kind of kind of like kind of It looks like a deep one face, actually. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, it's got yeah, this it Petrachian visage. And it's kind of like <laughs> fleshy looking, it's kind of white and pink, it's all just hideous. Actually, no, yes. it's uh, dark. It's kind of a mottled black and brown. Hmm. Oh, even more appetizing. Uh, okay, there's all kinds of things you'll put in your mouth after they've taken its face off and removed 
any 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 vestige of what it was before, and now it's just a here's some meat. Uh, oh, you don't have oh, oh, okay. Now I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's like that flat kind of. Okay, gotcha. Yes. So it's like a flounder-looking kind of you know hideous sea monster. If you like increase the you know to a hundred feet long, it would be like the terror of the ocean kind of look. Yeah. 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 But since, actually, since the bottom of the ambushes. Go ahead. Do you think? Do you think we'll have to come up with new names for human flesh if we ever have to start eating it, or will we stick with the the words we already have, like long pig and uh, sweetbreads? Um, I I read a, uh, two novels um, through Darkest America and um, I was this? Uh, it might be through Darkest America. I think the the, the sequel was like. Twilight's Last Gleaming or something, but it was a world where they had institutionalized, it's it's maybe early 19th century technology uh, level, post-apocalyptic, we've come back to sort of a black powder level of, of, of civilization. There is something called a president, but it, it, it appears to be more like a king that no one ever sees or hears from and is far, far, far away. And they are, and there is cattle, and cattle wanders around with two arms and two legs and two eyes and bilateral symmetry, and um, you know, uh, uh, bears live young and isn't very hairy from the neck down, and uh, everyone just goes, no, it's cattle, cattle, just cattle, and no one says it, it's it's just steak and beef and whatever, and uh, they make the very you know. They, they assure they say very loudly and very clearly, cattle doesn't have a soul. That's the difference. You know, does not have a soul. It's fine. We're not doing anything wrong. And it was just this theme that went all through the story. And at some point, the main character gets the big wake-up call, and uh, obviously dinner is off for the rest of the story. He is uh, less than pleased with the options. Uh, once he realizes what's the, what's going on, um, but they 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 just applied all of these standard uh, beef uh, and cattle names to it. Uh, they just moved them over. Cows are extinct in this world, uh, and uh, just and, and that was the change for cannibalism. Um, they you know uh, uh, they just called it steak. They just called it brisket. You know. Lunch. It's it's now called lunch. It's now called lunch. Uh, so they didn't even they didn't even have anything to to, to differentiate it at all. Uh, the implication was that there were no um, that we that, that, that there were no uh, 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 domesticated animals were few and far between in this world, and that uh, rather than have the Morlocks living underground while they prey on the Eloy that they keep on the surface as their free-range food, that this society, everyone was above ground and had just created different classes of society, humans and cattle. So there. Hmm. Oh, that is dark. Yeah, it was, it was pretty grisly, to say the least. Um, it was a it was a world where the more the kid, the kid from down on the farm, down on the cattle ranch, uh, 
learns about his world, the more he sort of realizes there's no part of it that doesn't need to get nuked again. I mean, there was almost no hope for a better future through either one of these these novels. It was just the the awful just kept getting bigger the more he learned about his environment. That now that one didn't have any other big changes in language, um, except that they were uh, it was an expanding world where they had run in. They, at some point they run into. When at some point it goes from the east coast to the west coast, goes through the post-apocalyptic Panama Canal, which is just a a breach in the land now, right? Because uh, the Panama Canal was nuked during the war excessively. It is now uh, uh, there's actually a break. There's a passage that doesn't require locks or anything, hmm. and all the population back down there was uh, heavily mixed in with Caribbean and uh, Latin American and Indian, uh, which were all people he had never seen. There was this one sort of nightmarish moment where he goes to the, count ten, the, 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 the uh, county fair uh, in his world before he gets his big wake-up call, uh, and you'll pardon my French here, but, you know, even though he'd gone and seen it last year and paid a nickel to get him the tent to see it, this year he still went back to pay a nickel and go in the tent to see the nigger. And they Yes. And there's this and what it is is it's a black guy like poor old Landon from Planet of the Apes who's been killed and stuffed. And he's like, Ah, oh, the nigger looks a little rattier than it did last year. It's kinda of worn and the stuffing's Damn. coming out. And it was Fuck yeah. It was so fucked up. And then when he goes down to Central America and runs into all these um uh, you know, uh, people descended from Caribbean and Central America. He just starts throwing that word around, and the guy he's with is like, "You need to shut the fuck up now." Before you, you know, uh, there's not a lot of words that carry over from the past times, but that's one of them, and that's pretty much an invitation to get your ass kicked. So you need to shut up now. Um, but yeah, it was it was horrible. It was it was that same thing where no one's gonna tell him that it's not the right word, so he's gonna use it. And I guess that's another example of language, you know, that since there's, uh, well, fuck, Jared, comms and yangs. Yep, I was going to say, oh, yeah. The Eplipnista! How could we forget about the Eplipnista? Well, I was going to I was gonna bring up Star Trek also, because that, that would, we would lend it to that, because remember the one where they go down to the planet and all the adults have died because of the serum for... Like uh, immortality, all the kids are like 50, 60, 300 years old, but they're kids. The grups, yeah. and you know, they started having their own terms because they've Grup. been the grups, yeah. they've been kids for a couple hundred years, you know. They grups just don't was one of the best, grups is one of the best slang terms ever, yeah. Grups was, was awesome. So, Star Trek again has touched on, has touched on uh, post apocalyptic language several times that episode and the ones with the. Uh, with the with the gangs and the cons. So yeah, so it's uh, Miri, I think, is uh, the one with the grups. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the, Miri. Yeah, and it's Omega Glory for the Combs and the Yangs and the E Plebnista. Uh, <laughs> I wish I could. What I wish I could memorize is the part where they start doing the Pledge of Allegiance. You know, yeah. that's one of my favorite moments where they get out the tattered banner and they start stumbling through "I Pledge Allegiance to the Flag." <laughs> Like, we 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 know this. We I pledge allegiance to the 
how do you know the secret words? Because they're my secret words, too, you know? What, what I love is that they're sitting there speaking English, but somehow you forgot these English words, okay? What the fuck is going on here? Well, the universal translator. Ah, the universal well, was... translator is a finicky piece of technology. Yes, I see. <laughs> because it translates the words. Well, if we're gonna if we're gonna talk about that, Will, let's go to one of my favorite Star Trek episodes from Next Generation. You know the cho uh, the children of uh, what is it, Will? You know, like Mokhtar. It's like Mokhtar with arms closed. Yeah. Yes. Jalad, you know, because that's a perfect example of the Universal Translator translates it to English. But they don't know what the fuck they're talking about because they speak in metaphor. So again, that's a language barrier. Like, yes, we understand we understand the words you're saying, but we don't know what you mean. You know. That was one of the nicest little 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 uh, riffs on the idea that you can. Well, I, I understand. I I I guess I understand, but I don't comprehend. Is that where we're at with that? Yeah. You know. So again, you you get the same thing with your post-apocalyptic language. When somebody's talking about their grups or their comms, their yangs, or or um, you know, nuked in the back, yeah, uh, Mr. Dead, you know, all got snatched by Mr. Dead or whatever, you know, and and so that would be the, that that kind of thing. I I really think that's effective in fiction um, when if you're going to show that there's been a passage of time in civilization, uh, that really does work. But it's tough, and it's it's tough to do well. There's some of it in um, well, because you're you're, predi you're predicting there, you're, some, you're, you're predicting unpredictable things. You know, is there some of that in, in Ellison's uh, boy and his dog? Isn't there some different terms for stuff like rovers or something? I mean, yeah, there are those there are those gangs, and all the gang names are like taken from like old movies. So there's like the little rascals is one of the gangs because that's yeah. a word that survived, and they had some of the old films. Yes. Yeah. Um, and there's, like, there's like the ones that make like the, the ammo. Don't they like call themselves like Green Berets or something? The, the 82nd Airborne. 82nd the Airborne. Armors, the armors were called the 82nd Airborne, if I remember correctly. Um, I was thinking of like, and, and naming things, uh, Mar Mariga. Wasn't that the Gamma World name for North America was Mariga? That sounds right. I know that in in one of the later editions they had uh, the city of Settle, which was just Seattle, but the sign got damaged. But it's yeah. a settlement, so it works. Yeah. Um, everyone loves the pit from Fallout Three for Pittsburgh. Oh you know? yeah. Um, that can actually but, be a fun uh, a fun like way to like to, you know to, to figure out what is the post apocalyptic name for a particular area, uh, and it's always and this is I think like true across the board a lot of post apocalyptic terms happen because they shorten an existing word so you know settle the pit uh, I know there's one where there's like ashing but it's just like Washington it's supposed to be Washington that that was from that was definitely from uh, by the waters of Babylon. Where the guy yes, that's the one. Paddles into the ancient city to, to, on his right of his right of passage to get like an artifact and bring it back. And there's a statue where it's just the feet, and it says ashing. And you know, I I didn't get it. I didn't get it that it was a statue of Washington. I just I yeah, it's supposed to be a statue of George Washington. Uh, but you know, it's always it's always the words getting shortened. It's never an anagram. Well, um, that's true. But also, uh, in a game world game that I played again, this is way back in high school. We the campaign that we were in, we went to uh, 
we are we wound up in one of these things. We wound up in this old logging uh, camp, and it was in Arkansas. Now, uh, our characters or one of our characters had a, a smattering, you know, knew the ancient tongue, and he read it. And he read it. Li- he literally read what it says. If you look, if you just take Arkansas for what it says, it says Arkansas. There's no there's no W in there. The, you wouldn't know to call it Arkansas. So we just we just called it like oh we're they saw the map we're in Arkansas. And we yeah, call later it, later when we find Kansas we figure oh R must be the ancient word for south. Exactly. So we we found we we saw we're in Arkansas. So we we've actually I've actually done that before. We've taken the language and just tried to you know just take it for exactly what it is. You know. Uh, well, there you go. I got to tell you right off the bat, I my post-apocalyptic world. The state of Missouri is going to be known as the state of misery. It's just going to be you're in misery. Well, isn't, isn't that true? Isn't that true today, though? Well, uh, not the least of which because um, the state of Missouri isn't that the the. Um, well, I guess not. I was going to say that it's part of the setting for um, the day after, so it's got that extra misery because you know uh, Lawrence, Kansas has been blown up. Well, we- uh, again, that further, uh, Detroit could be destroyed. Destroyed. Yes, welcome to destroyed. Destroyed. And that's how it appears on all the maps. Destroyed. Yeah, well, it is kind um, of I, destroyed it already. Uh, we all, we, obviously, Nuke York. <laughs> I mean, it would have to be Nuke York. Um, well, actually, uh, and, to invoke, uh, I was like, to invoke Hop. Uh, and his okay. uh, post-apocalyptic game, Low Life. There's uh, there's this land called Glohio. All right, Glohio, that works for me. Um, I'm going with Abba Blama. <laughs> that's it. That's all I've got. Abba Blama. Um, wow. <laughs> all right. So as, as apparently we are winding down. Uh, yes, right we're home. we're now just into silliness. Um, oh, actually, I did have one kind of serious point to make. Uh, and this was uh, inspired by uh, the the Dan Simmons Hyperion novels end with a, a soft apocalypse where the big intergalactic civilization is destroyed because they have wormholes that let them travel instantly between any point in this empire. Well, those all go away. And from that point forward, even the closest star systems, it's going to take years, half a decade, to send a ship one way and then another half a decade to send it back but they still want a continuity of civilization. And what ends up happening is that in this future, the, the as this collapse is about to happen, Catholic Church sets itself up as the continuity of civilization because they can send people to a planet, and even if there's a token presence of the Catholic Church, they will always speak formal Latin, and that will allow them to communicate on any planet they go to because the priests will know formalized Latin, but then they'll also know the local language. Um, and that's something that kind of I don't see played around with enough in, in the apocalypse because you know, e- even if an apocalypse is just on Earth, uh, if, if that kind of very structured church is continuing, the liturgical language will still exist, and that will be a way to kind of to, to unite people and communicate between people. And it goes not- beyond that. You know, Hebrew... Uh, you know, be, learning Hebrew is such you know a, a big part of of the Jewish tradition. That's I think a written and a spoken language that would be very hard to ch- change or wipe out. 
or, or have fade out uh, after the apocalypse. Oh, it, I guess that would be the same thing with uh, Arabic because it's Arabic is directly connected to the faith that you know you you're not really reading the Quran unless it's in Arabic. You know, mm, yeah. it's, it's 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 adulterated if it's been translated into Turkish or Farsi. Well, well doesn't uh, a cantel um, a cantel for Leibowitz? Kind of touch on that a little bit. That was that was where I was going to go with this. Is that uh, let's go to Kenical for Kenical for Kenical. I don't remember that. I mean, my uh, it's been decades since I've read it, but I I don't remember language uh, being an issue in Kenical for Leibowitz at all. Um, well, because it was all the doctrine and the teachings of the church and you know the Latin and stuff. So it kind of kept it. It did kind of keep a universal language around because you know they taught the Bible they taught it in you know uh, the faith they, you know they kept the faith they kept religion they kept the structure of the church and, and spoke Latin and used Latin so that kind of was uh, kind of a loose example like I, I do not re I, like I said I don't remember the Latin in Canico for Leibowitz, but um, the whole point of the novel was to recast post nuclear America as the medieval dark ages so I would not shock me in the least that I'm just not remembering it yeah. Um, are there any other are there any other fictional examples? Oh, okay. Here's our, so we, okay. We've been on some of our favorite things: Fallout, Gamma World. Um, how about Deathlands? Because in the earliest Deathlands novels, I think it's the number two one out of the gate. They go to Alaska. They run into Russians, and they present an absolute language barrier between the Russian characters and the American characters who. Cannot communicate at all. There's no Cyrillic versus Latin letters. They got you know. They, there's no way they can communicate. I mean, they do a little sign language or whatever. But on their second meeting, when the Russian uh, returning, I mean, he's not really the main enemy in the first story. But having encountered America and realized that there is an America to encounter, uh, he returns to you know to. Moscow Center and sets himself to learning American, learning English, because we're going to have to learn it. Because clearly, we didn't finish the Americans off after the big death. Of the, was it the Great Death, the Big Death? What did they call the uh, apocalypse in, uh, in the Red uh, Holocaust? I uh, I don't remember. Um, I, I, I want to say they called it the Death or the Big Death, or the, you know. And so uh, he sets to work, you know, trying to find something in English, and I think you get some, like, 1887, you know, a British, you know, a British Traveler's Guide to Russian or something, and sort of, like, reverse engineers it so he can uh, speak this weirdly British-accented, English-accented uh, English when he re-encounters Ryan Cador and his pack of murder hobos, because, oh, my God, if ever there was a group of fictional characters who more closely remembered player characters from a role-playing game, it's those guys from Deathlands. They are the they are the murder hobos. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, they touch on that in a six-string samurai where the apocalypse happened as Russia was trying to invade the United States. So the apocalypse happens, there's no more Russia, there's no more United States, but all these Russian-speaking people are now stranded in America. So, like, yeah. randomly throughout the movie, they keep coming across people who speak Russian or speak English with these ridiculously thick Cold War spy Russian accents. I do not like your rock and roll music. I like the soft music. Uh, the polka. Waltz, the polka. It yeah, is too loud. Nice music, yeah. 
very <laughs> Boris Badenov. It's, it's yeah, flat out Boris Badenov. Um, Which yeah, that's so, actually something. Would, would would there be people who who because of what media survived might actually learn how to speak from like old cartoons or something or like if you had people who grew up in a in, in these different bunkers but all the bunkers were equipped with the same standard issue safety films would they come out of the bunkers 200 years later talking like the people in those safety films well Hello, buddy looks like well, you're having problems with your water pump perhaps I can help you well, no. Uh, what's the first, what's the uh, the movie, Scott? Um, where the kids grew up in the bunker and all they had was like four. Oh, radio, radio, radioactive dreams, and they come out of the bunker talking like Humphrey Bogart um, yep. because they've seen all the. I was gonna go straight to paranoia, um, oh. the role playing game paranoia, because there's this one part where the computer is obsessed with communists. Finding communists, destroying the communists who are trying to destroy America, despite the fact there aren't any. But there's one resistance group that decides that if if the computer hates communists, then maybe there's something to this communism. So they desperately try to be communists, but it's based on all the computer's sort of presentation of what communists is. So they, you know, they go to their meetings and they put on their Joseph Stalin mustaches and they <laughs> speak in terrible and they big for hats, and then they speak in terrible, terrible Boris Badenov accents because they think that's what that's what communists are. You know, is is that talk about, about bringing down the imperialist West, even though they don't know what the West is or what imperialism is. Yes, exactly. You know, they've just adopted all these things for you know, this badly remembered. Um, yeah. Well, how is that again? Well, Paranoia has some fun stuff like that. There's a running gag in the edition that I have, which I think is fourth or fifth, where uh, trademark is actually pronounced. Like, if there's a word that ends with, like, a trademarked word, you pronounce the trademark. Which, which like, there's, like, a secret society where their code is, the force is, the force is with you, TM. Because it's written I, down. I, thought that, I was hoping they would say, the force is with you, Tom. <laughs> you know, they just... You know, they they gave a pronunciation guide. It's like T E E M E E, or T E E M -M or something like that. Yeah, T M. All right, T M. Tim. That's great. All right, so I can't think of any other like really good fictional examples of 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 off the top of my head. But again, it's a little hard to get better than the E Club Nista. It, that that one really may be the top of the that may be the top of the of, of the iceberg as far as you know as far as the the pinnacle of degraded language uh, in a post apocalyptic setting. Okay, so folks, so we're gonna go ahead and uh, wrap it up because I don't think you know I said we could we could come up with a lot of the good examples that we're gonna come up with you know with with you know just dredge, trying to drudge our memories. Um, as, Wait, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's gonna get a little be a bit of a little bit of a jerk off after a while. You yeah. guys should just go. <laughs> Yeah. Time for you to stop listening. Go on to something else in your lives. Yeah. Well, so we're so we are going to wrap it up. So uh, basically, I think we've assessed that you know uh, language and writing out the apocalypse ain't gonna ain't gonna be good afterwards necessarily. So uh, we've speculated on a lot of you know you know realistic possibilities, some fun things that we've encountered. Some you know again, it's you're, all you're, you're gra- your grammar glows, chummer. <laughs> Well, I have Shadowrun slang. Anyway, so what uh, are you? Some kind of mutie? Let's let's uh, let's do so. Let's do so. Let's slot and run. Okay, we're gonna slot and run right now, folks. Okay, <laughs> so uh, thank you for joining us this week, folks. That has been language in the apocalypse. So hopefully we've uh, 
you know, brought some things to your attention you haven't thought of before, and we hoped, as usual, you were entertained. So, again, uh, like I said, all the shows are uh, posted, uh, audio, so if you don't have a chance to watch the video, you can listen to the audio. I'll have the audio for this one up here in the next uh, couple of days, folks. And remember to always be socially responsible. If you, ha if you haven't liked us on Facebook, if you don't subscribe to us on YouTube, follow us on Twitter. If you haven't done any of that stuff, please go ahead and do it. And then, if you have, again, if you have any friends who are interested in this type of subject matter, please uh, share with them. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks for uh, our uh, normal show. Uh, what we're going to do yet, don't know. Me and Scott will talk about it during the week, and uh, when we know, we'll let you know. Uh, so we'd like to keep it a surprise sometimes, or we just haven't talked about it yet, so we don't we don't have it solid yet. So We're, we're, we're lazy, lazy podcasters. Yeah, well, no, 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 we did pretty good for a while. We had a whole bunch lined up, so that's okay. We'll, we'll, so we'll talk about it. We'll figure out what we're going to talk about. Uh, so uh, that's it, folks. Uh, thank yes, you. If, you. if you think the show does not glow, please tell your tell, tell your chummers. You know, tell your tell your pack your pack mates or whatever whatever you mutants call yourselves out there. So Spread sure. the word. So well, thank you again for uh, joining us this week. You again, like I always say, you have always have a lot to bring to the table. Uh, good perspective on things. Thank you very much. Thank you. Check me out on Twitter at uh, Internet Mayor. Also, I'd like to propose in a post-apocalyptic world that uh, a growth is the term for a group of mutants. It's a growth of mutants. Not a not a murder, not a flock, not a not a pride, a growth. A growth. A growth I would suggest mutants. I would suggest an eruption of mutants. <laughs> that that could be taken in so many wrong ways. So on that note, thank you, Scott. This is Jared, the Apocalypse Nerd, and Anabom Glancy and William T. Thrasher saying thank you and Good night.